0: Good morning. So that's the intro. That's the series that we're going to be in for the next month, small as we are. Uh, what happened uh, was a number of us would get together and uh, pray, and we still do this actually every Tuesday morning. We pray on a rooftop uh, over in the Ju- or I'm sorry, in the financial district area. Um, and we noticed one day while we were praying over the city, that we looked out and we saw this. Uh, so, the, if, I, can, I don't know how good you can see it. It's pretty small. But it just says, small as we are. Someone in graffiti had done this like, little piece on top of a building. Uh, and it stares like directly into the Dorrance building. And, uh, and we just sat there and I'm like, you know, it's so funny. It's such a Rhode Island thing. right? We have a lot of pride if you're here and you're a, a Rhode Islander. And so we're just like, small as we are. You know, it's like the New England thing. Like, it's like the short person complex. I can say this as someone who's not exceptionally tall, right? You just, like, you kind of have a little fighting edge to you because you've always had to because you were kind of picked on at the playground, right? Like, you're a little smaller, and you're, like, small as we are. We'll, like, you're always looking for a fight. For some reason, you develop an Irish accent, you know, and you punch. Anyway, we saw that, and I just started to think as I kind of wrote that script of, like, man, we live in a huge, huge world, and we are in a country that makes up such a small percentage and, and the smallest state in the Union and in a city where there are very few followers of Jesus. For those of you who have ever uh, you know, looked up sort of the stats of our city, uh, many of you here who are not followers of Jesus, you know this well, um, is that there's, just, there's not a lot of folks in this area who, um, who follow Jesus or at least who attest to or at least who answer the phone when someone's polling That could be it, too. I'm always thinking New Englanders would be like, you want to know what about what? That's none of your business. Click. So maybe the stats are skewed. But we've noticed in walking around that as church communities in the city, and there are a number of really great churches, um, that uh, we're, we're pretty small. And I think for a lot of us, when we think about our everyday, like most people's everyday is spent changing diapers or washing dishes or going to class. Maybe you're stuck in, like, office world. It can start to feel the 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 grand vision that you may have received or that you pick up when you read the scriptures or when you hear a sermon of like what it means to be about the kingdom of God and the work of Jesus in the world. You get really hyped up on Sunday and Monday morning. Things seem to slip down into a minutia that feels like staggeringly stifling. I don't know if that resonates with anyone. But my thought was, in thinking about this series and thinking about the next month as we kind of kick off the ministry year for us at church, like many students, the fall is like the beginning. It feels like the beginning of the year. And so we wanted to mark this time kind of unpacking what is the essence, the culture of who we are as a church and who we're becoming. So we have this verse that um, has sort of shaped our community from the very beginning, uh, and it's Habakkuk 3.2. And there's this prophet, so the ancient prophet Habakkuk, he's a good Jewish boy. He grew up with all of the epic stories of Moses uh, uh, crossing the Red Sea, uh, of, of, uh, of Abraham and his descendants, of David and Goliath. This is his world. He grew up with these, God has done unbelievable things through our people, And this tribe was supposed to be a blessing to the world, and they continued to fall short. And Habakkuk looks out on the the people of Israel. So it would be like me looking out on the church, and he just goes, he he looks upwards and prays. And this is the verse, Habakkuk 3.2. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Like, what a great prayer. Like even if, even if you're here and you're not a Christian, just like, like take hold of that just feeling for a moment. If I believe that there was a God and that God does miraculous things in history and now on the other side of Jesus... That like the great movement of Dr. King and Mother Teresa, we look back at the history of social justice and, and, and the caring for the common good and the flourishing of faith and love, right? Our ethics system is still based on ancient Jewish writing of the, of the Torah, of the Old Testament. Like when we look back at this story, if, I, if you believed all of that for a moment, wouldn't you want to pray, okay, in our day, in our time, make that known. I want to see that. Your fame and your deeds known. And so I want this verse to hang over these next four weeks. Small as we are, like small as we are, like you're going to leave here and so many of you are already like often studying. I met a Brown student the other day who is already stressed like four days in. I'm like, dude, you got a long semester ahead of you. For those of you who your job has just kicked up, Or for some of you, you actually feel exhausted from the monotony of everyday life. It's just been the same thing. Actually, there's no big transition in September. It's just the same as July and July the year before and September the year before that. My hope is that this grand prayer of renew, Lord, renew your deeds in our time. Tell me, show me what it is to love. Lord, reveal yourself that I might partner with you. What does that look like in the day to day? And so today I wanna take some time with a guy named Peter. Uh, and Peter, uh, I'm going to outline a little bit of his kind of personality, a little bit of the things that we see him do, and uh... And how that might relate to us in sort of laying the groundwork for the next few weeks. So if you have your Bibles, uh, sometimes we put scripture on the screen. I really prefer not because I would love for you, whether you have like a, a Bible on your phone that you take notes on or a regular Bible that you bring. I think it's important because that's where you're reading and you're taking your notes and you're circling thing versus just always having them up there. Just so you know that's intentional and sometimes slightly lazy. Acts 5. If you want to turn, if you've never been, uh, if you've never opened a Bible before, uh, go to the middle and then lean right. You'll find it. (laughs) The apostles. This is the story of the early church. The first church. Jesus has come, dies on the cross, rose again, announcing that there is a new way breaking in. Somehow heaven in the future has like broken in now and we can join God in the renewal of everything. The fashion industry, the business world, entrepreneurs, like we we can join God in the renewal of parenting, of putting this world back together in light of the fact that we are forgiven and set free. So these first, the acts is this little window we have into what the first church was like. Here we go. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, the religious folks, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. The Jewish religious institution is not excited about Jesus. Who would have figured? Religious people really up in arms. Never happens. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. He is standing up, just to give you a really quick context, standing up against like the institution. Second to Rome, there's no one else that Peter should be scared of. Like, this is, like, these are the people who run the show. These are the people who have been paid off by Rome, right? For those of you who remember, like, 11th grade history. Like, Rome rules the world from England to India. They have taken over this Jewish people. And some of the Jewish leaders are now essentially, like, paid off or in bed, metaphorically, with the Roman Empire. And so when he stands up against them, this is not like a soft thing, like some random pastor. Like one of you come up to me and goes, yeah, Andrew, I disagree with your teaching. I, I, I follow God, not, not man. Right? I can just look at you and be like, shut up. Right? And then you can walk away. Actually, that's a really great rebuke if I ever don't do that. Right? But this was not the place. This would be like me having political power and the ability to throw you in jail. Verse 31, God exalted. So he begins to explain then. What's happening? The God of his ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance. So he is talking to this religious institution saying, you guys get it together. Do you want to know? I'm going to remind you again of what we've been talking about. This frustrates them because talking about the way of Jesus flashes in the face of talking about Caesar who is in charge. Actually declaring that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar is a really big deal in this historical context. And the Jewish folks are not happy about it. They're also not happy that they're claiming the Messiah has come when they don't believe that. And then verse 32, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter is claiming that he is dialed in in some powerful way with God. That God has sent his spirit to guide him. And that he doesn't care if it's Caesar. He doesn't care if it's the religious authority. He is willing to say, actually, there's a better way. Actually, do you want to know who sits on the throne? Actually, do you want to know what God is like? And it kind of stands up there. I imagine Peter's got a very puffed out chest. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. He ends up just getting flogged, by the way, is the end of that story. So it was all right. Just a light flogging. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone have a light flogging recently? No. This book that we're going to keep dialing into over the next month, describing Peter and other folks in the First Church, it tells the story of these disciples continuing to get insight from God and making sense of what it looks like to spread the kingdom of love and justice and peace, declaring and demonstrating the good news that Jesus is Lord, that their sins are forgiven and that God is making all things new. This frustrates a lot of people. I wish I could get into all the context right now. We'll try to like play that out over the next week. It's just or next month. It's fascinating. But when he says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter is literally saying, like, and this is the kind of thing that would enrage anybody in power, that it's, I don't really care what you do to me. Because the reality is, is your coercive way, in terms of Rome trying to lead people to what peace is, is wrong. To so the religious folks, saying you heap guilt and shame and burden on people for control. You tax people to death. This is wrong. Actually, there's something new afoot. In Acts three one, we have another account of Peter. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, all three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he put every where he was every day to beg for those in the temple courts. This is somebody who is always at the same spot every day. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, the beggar, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave his attention, expecting to get something. Have you walked by somebody in Kennedy Plaza who was begging? right? And you were like, hey, 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 dude, look at me. This is what's happening. Somebody who's in the same place every time. You've seen him all the time. And the natural assumption about what is just about to happen if you are an outsider is, oh, he's going to give him some money or give him some food. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. I was just going to take a couple quarters, but I'll take like healing of my infirmity. This man stands up and walks, this is the crazy stories that we read about in the Bible this guy stands up and walks he's like, I, uh, like I would love to be able to do this, right, this is something like we just actually at our retreat have been praying for we had our leaders got away this last weekend it's like, I, I don't have any change on me, but what I can do is uh, alright, you can walk now this is the crazy stuff, Habakkuk God renew your deeds in our day and our time like that—that that would be an example of it. Now, I mentioned this story not to get off on a conversation about healing. I mentioned this because for Peter, he's bold. First, he's willing to go up against the religious authorities who are in Caesar's back pocket, risking his own death. And here's another circumstance where he's like, "This might not work, but uh, be healed." I think that the Holy Spirit is leading me to heal you right now for some reason. The man jumps to his feet and begins to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. This is Peter. Peter's broke. He has no money. We don't exactly know what his occupation is at this point. He may have been a full-time ministry person, but likely he had trade He's going around with no money. He's headed to the temple doing his normal thing. And an opportunity arises to declare and proclaim that actually God wants to do away with the sickness and brokenness of the world. And he offers something far more. And by the way, quick tangent. This is for free. What I love about this story is the the, the beggar. The beggar is so used to asking for money. The thing that he actually needs is to be healed. He's thinking that's so beyond, like, what I could ever ask for. For those of you who are just really struggling and beat up right now with whatever it might be, like, don't ask for just, like, the symptoms to be taken away. Like, our God is good. I actually believe that when we go to God with the biggest and hardest things in our life, God will answer, whether in the way we expect or not. But our God is good to respond. Okay, back. Back. So what makes Peter so bold? What is it so daring, so hungry for the things of love? He believes that he can obey and hear the Spirit and do all these miraculous things in his day-to-day as he goes about his life, right? He takes Jesus' call seriously. Jesus commissions, like, the first church. Like, why we're here, sanctuary right here in Providence on a Sunday morning is because of this word that Jesus spoke over 12 kind of lousy individuals, he said, hey, go and make disciples, make followers of me, of all nations, and we're here today. This is the guy who believes, he's hungry for these sorts of things, that in that very day, as you go, as you go, make disciples, as you go, declare the works of Jesus. Now, people love to hate on Peter, right? Peter is somebody who, at times, doubts, denies Jesus. Uh, I... I, uh, I really like him. And I realized that part of this may be reflected in my own personality. And funny, preparing for this sermon made me realize why certain personality types don't really get along with me. And here's why. I actually think that Peter's just really hungry and he's willing to push the limits. All right, so I'm the opposite from uh, for the most part from my wife in this regard. So my wife is um, reasonable. Uh, generally follows the rules in a good way, not in like a a lame, closed-off way. She's the best, by the way, my wife. love you, honey, wherever you are. Like She's somebody who um, isn't going to, in order to learn, she's not going to push the boundary. She's going to sit back and think about it. Uh, One great way to describe this metaphorically is I'm an external processor. So I like to talk things out. If you ever listen and the sermon feels really ranty and rambling, it's probably because I didn't prepare enough and I'm just like externally processing all the information I've studied. You can just walk out that Sunday. It's okay. Just being honest with you. Corey will sit and think, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, Here it is. And just drop, you know, the world's greatest wisdom. Like, here's a proverb for you, like, to sit on that changes my life. I, on the other hand, trying to explain whatever it might be, was talking already for five minutes and didn't even hear her. That's kind of how it goes. Um, Or at least an exaggerated version of it. I like Peter because Peter just seems to jump. He just goes. He's hungry. It's like every moment. Here's an example. So Peter's first off a fisherman. So this is really important. He's a hard worker. It also means that he wasn't actually good enough to be a disciple, like follow. There's a whole rabbinical system. So Jesus says, you can f- like, come follow me, right? And if you've ever even touched the Bible, you probably heard that verse, right? So many of the disciples, four of them were fishermen. And it says in Matthew that they dropped their nets and followed him. Like, that's pretty severe. Like, they were like, oh my gosh, a rabbi wants us, believes that we can follow him. This is the context of, of this happening. This is actually a really huge thing. So Peter is somebody who wasn't good enough, but who was fishing. We know that Peter thinks he's a really good fisher, fisherman because he has times where he almost is like lecturing Jesus when they're actually in the boat. And so Peter gets called out. To to follow him. And and then we start to see a personality that I can only imagine comes from what it means from being a fisherman who clearly has some leadership potential, which he does. Peter shows this sort of impetuousness, like almost to the point of I don't know, rashness. For example, it was Peter who left the boat to walk on the water. There's a story in the scriptures where Jesus walks on water. And he he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. But he's the one, right? Because he believes he can do what the rabbi tells him to do, which is a a true thing in a separate sermon. But he gets up out of the boat. Jesus is like, come to me. Right? This is our second weird story of the morning. Like walking on water. Okay. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I can just imagine like they're all on the boat. And Peter's like, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. He starts walking. He's like, this is sick. And then he starts to sink and it's not so good. He gets really, really excited about it too. Uh, another example: If Peter uh, takes Jesus aside in Matthew 16, you should read about this later. I don't have time to get into it, but Jesus, um, to rebuke Jesus, this is a big deal. Jesus is his rabbi, and he takes him aside to actually um, rebuke him. And uh, Jesus isn't a big fan of that, so he uh, he corrects him very swiftly. <laughs> Uh, Peter's the one who suggested, um, putting three tabernacles to honor Moses, Elijah, and Jesus side by side. Um, and, uh, anyway, he ends up falling to the ground in fearful silence at God's glory. Like God just kind of like humbles him, right? Even that, that scene is like Peter's like really excited about what's going on, right? And if you're just really excitable, you're like something great's happening. We got to do something to commemorate this moment. This is amazing. It's like he's a little like snapped out. That's how I think of Peter. And so he builds, like, we could, Jesus, we could build this and we could build this. And, and I can't believe, everyone's got to know what's going on. We could do, and Jesus' is like, shh. He's rebuked again. It was Peter who drew his sword and attacked uh, the servant of the high priest when Jesus is about to be crucified. Peter hasn't been listening, right? And, uh, and the, the guards come to arrest Jesus. And Peter's already like, no, you're not going to die. Jesus has literally said, uh, in order for this whole thing to go down the way God wants it, I'm going to die on the cross. He basically tells them up front. Peter's like, no, no, you're wrong. <laughs> just love to have been in the room at that moment. Like all the other disciples are like, Peter, shut up. Why do you do this every time? <laughs> and he's just, he just goes for it. I love it. So obviously then when the guards come to take Jesus away, this moment is actually happening. Who's the guy who draws the sword? Obviously Peter. Right, Peter's just like, <laughs> No, you will not. Jesus like, I mean, Jesus, he cuts the guy's ears off, is how the story goes. Right? Ear comes off. And Jesus goes, have you not listened to anything I've been talking about? Anything. Picks the ear up, heals it. And again, I just imagine the disciples in the background like, again, cutting off ears now. And of course, the famous story. For those of you familiar with the Bible, you may know this. Peter, uh boasts that he will never, ever forsake Jesus. And uh, he does. He denies Jesus after Jesus goes to the cross. Peter actually denies uh, Jesus three times. So why is any of this relevant to today? Here's a man who in every moment is striving, longing, pushing, however much he fails regularly, however much he screws it up royally. No one can deny that Peter is longing for truth, he wants things to be where they're supposed to be. He wants people in building those, those altars. He wants people to know who Jesus is. He wants to heal. And so on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus uh, invites Peter over and says, hey, on you, or this is actually before that, but this works either way, he, uh, he says, I'm going to build my church here. Peter is sort of known as almost like the, the, the first Christian leader. Right? Uh, the if you're from the Catholic tradition, we sort of claim Peter is like the, the the first pope. Like here's the guy who started it all. This is the guy who God chose to use, all the disciples, but Peter was sort of clearly the leader. And so on the other side of all of these mistakes, Jesus dies, rises again, takes Peter in, and goes, Peter, you get it now? And you get this very clear sense in the scripture that Peter's like, mm-hmm. But what doesn't disappear is his zeal for the miraculous, the powerful, and the loving in every moment. Throughout the book of Acts, just like I would encourage you, if, you wanna, if you're looking for more study, just go through the book of Acts or even just do a, like a word search just for Peter and read the stories about Peter in the first church. Every moment, every opportunity, and every small thing, it's longing, seeking, looking. It's wonder, amazement. Could there be healing? Is there there an opportunity for love to go forward here, for justice to go forward here? There is an earnestness, an earnestness that I think is just powerful. There is an awareness and an an awakeness. He is awake to the things of God and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there are stories of disciples like this all throughout Scripture who are learning in the Day to day, like I'm talking some of the most monotonous things, are are dialing in to where is God moving and where is God working. The other day, um, speaking of of my wife, um, we were just talking through uh, the difficulties that she was going through with her job. And everyone, I'm assuming, I know I've hit this at least, you hit those moments of like, what am I doing why am I doing this? Um, and, and, and I know for some, it's like I just feel like wasted hours in the day. If I'm going to be here doing this job, like I, I got to do something that counts. And these are the kinds of questions that were floating around. And so we, we took a moment, and I just, just like she often does for me, I just prayed for her. I said, God, like will you just, just provide tomorrow in the monotony of staring at her computer when she only has two hours of work in a six, seven hour day. Reveal to her, like, just the majesty of what it means to serve you, to participate in the renewal of everything. This epic phrase we use all the time. To join God in everything you do and in renewing industry and seeing justice happen and loving people well in a way that brings heaven to earth a little bit more. All right? This is Jesus' prayer for us. So I pray this over her. Like, really nonchalantly, though, I'm making this sound, like, really epic, just to give you context. Like, it was like, yeah, God, just, like, give her, like, just some opportunities to really, like, love you and serve well. Great. Okay, amen. Let's go to bed. So we leave. Uh, What I don't know is that night she has a dream about a friend of ours. And she just happens to remember it. And like most people, she doesn't usually remember her dreams. And so wakes up in the morning. I don't even remember if she told me that she had had the dream in the morning. Um, But... What happened was, is she had this dream involving kind of random details about somebody on a beach. um, Details about, uh, just kind of like got the sense and feeling of what was happening in the dream. There's sort of these emotions that came out. And she had this huge, like, internal leaning. Like, I should email this friend of ours, who she uh, lives a ways away. I said, I need to email, because this is who the dream was about. And so she goes, all right, I'm just going gonna, gonna to email her. I don't know any of this is going on. So she just emails. Like, hey, I was, weirdly, I had a dream about you the other day, which is always a great way to lead a conversation, right? How many guys have tried that at, like, a pickup line? Hey, I was just like, you know, I weirdly had a dream about you the other day. Like, not a good way to lead, fellas. Not a good way. Even if it was a nice, like, safe dream, just don't. So she emails my friend. And uh, or her friend too, and she goes like, "Hey, I, I was thinking, I was thinking of you, and I had this dream, and and it was, and she describes the details about a beach and about a conversation had, and I, I don't need to give you all the details. And then about two hours later, she gets a response back, and and the the, the theme of the email back was, oh my gosh. It was huh." That's funny you mentioned a beach because blank, all this stuff that had been going on in her life and a particular situation that had happened. Oh, it's interesting that you chose to email me today because all of this was going on. The temperature in the room of my friend changed dramatically. It was a moment, such a small moment of, I just prayed for her really quick. Hey, I hope she just finds deep meaning and can just further the kingdom in staring at a screen that's probably just filled with Facebook, you know, like... (laughs) Not that you ever look at Facebook honey when you're at work, you' never do that. In such a brief moment, in the monotony of every day, an email, because of a dream that God had given her and a, and a push to email her friend randomly, all of a sudden brought healing, life and rest to somebody on the other side of the world. I tell you this really boring, quasi-lame and simple story. Why? Because this was just a like peripheral surface attempt at just dialing in in that moment to what God might be doing. And such healing was provided to a friend of ours. God is faithful and good. And, and, and he fulfills his promise that as followers of Jesus, if we are awake and aware of how he is moving, we will have opportunities to bless the mm, out of every, everyone to truly care for people in a way that we may not have expected, to be aware of our own sin and anxiety. Maybe God has a word for you. The earnestness and the longing that someone like Peter and these first disciples had was being aware of what God was doing and saying, what does it look like to serve you here and now? The God of the universe calls us friends decides to use a bunch of hypocritical, strange looking people like us to love and serve and see his movement go forward. And that can only be done in his power. And that is something that just should overwhelm us when we look at Peter's life in particular, to recognize the potential. Not the potential inside of you, but the potential in partnering with Jesus. So often, our disbelief or our lack of, of, of consecrating time, of leaving time to be awake and aware, so often, these things lead us to never even asking. Just start to ask. If you take away nothing else, just start to ask. So a few things that I think we can take away as we close here about Peter and about what this means um, For us, when we look at the way, when we look at these stories that I went through before of how Peter has interacted with Jesus, when we started with with Peter saying it's been because of the Holy Spirit that we declare these things, because of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to go up against the Roman guard, It's because of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to heal. It's because of God's spirit that I'm able to plant this church. It's because of what God is doing in me and in the life of our community that I'm able to go. These are things we learn. Whether it's stepping out of a boat onto the sea or stepping across the threshold of a Gentile home. These are people he shouldn't be walking into. Peter found courage in following Jesus. What do we know about fear and courage from Jesus? 1 John 4.18. Right? There's no fear in love, and that's what God is. Jesus overcomes fear. After Peter boasted of his fidelity, Peter fervently denied God three times. Anyone ever doubt, anyone ever question, anyone ever ashamed ever of like, the things that are going on inside of you or your faith? It seemed that Peter had burned bridges, but Jesus lovingly rebuilt them and restored Peter to service. Peter was a former failure, but with Jesus, failure is not the end. 2 Timothy says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Jesus forgives unfaithfulness. Jesus overcomes fear, and Jesus forgives unfaithfulness. Wait, I got more. (laughs) Over and over, Peter needed correction, and the Lord gave it with patience, firmness, and love. Jesus looked for students who would be willing to learn this is what God is like. I will instruct you and teach you. Jesus patiently teaches. The very first time that they meet, Jesus called Simon Peter. This rough and reckless fisherman was in Jesus' eyes a firm and faithful rock. That's what Peter means. Changes his name. I would love that. Jesus is like, I know your name is Andrew, but I will call you Susanna. For Susanna. Like, I just wonder if Peter was like psyched about that name change. Like, uh, try again? It seems to stick. He who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. I love when renaming happens. Because what Jesus is saying is he sees us as he intends us to be. Jesus sees who we really are. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we actually believe that what what Jesus does is reclaim our humanity. Jesus is actually saying this is who I created you to be so when you see the term like the crazy person on the road that says repent and believe we we actually maybe not in the same way but believe what that crazy person is saying repent just means return return back to me so that you can return back to the person that you were created to be we just want to be honest that so much brokenness exists in our hearts and God wants to put it back together and it's in him that we actually find who we truly are and this is what he does Jesus sees Peter as he intends him to be and lastly, which is the obvious thing, Jesus uses unlikely heroes. A fisherman from Galilee. A fisherman from Galilee, unschooled and ordinary. Unschooled and ordinary. It's funny, when people look at Peter in Acts 4, they know who he's been with and who he's like, been trained by and who he's affected by. It says in 4.13, that it's clear that Peter had been with Jesus. Because being with Jesus makes all the difference. Being with Jesus makes all the difference. So as we come to the communion table today, as we begin this series, and we'll start to drill down in the next few weeks into kind of really healthy, um, more detailed specifics of what this will look like for us as a church. Like what are the daily, like, hey, in my job, how do I do do this? How do I get, I am small and I matter. Like, how does this flush out? But today, today was a day that when we look at the, this, the bread and the wine, when we look at what God has done for us and what Jesus has done, recognizing that it is Jesus and Jesus alone who can empower us in the day-to-day monotony of life to empower us to do unbelievable things for him with earnestness like Peter going up against that which is broken in the world, even in failure. I love Jesus, Peter's not afraid to fail and Jesus is okay with him failing because it's opportunity to rebuke or to, well, to rebuke, yes, but to bring him forward. Do we have that kind of earnestness? For those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, is this like right at the edge of your fingertips? Like, mean, I can't wait to start the week because I'm going to get up an extra 15 minutes early and go, okay, this, God, reveal opportunities for me to serve. Reveal opportunities for me to flourish in my job. Reveal opportunities for me to be awake and aware. Call me out upon the waters. I want to walk towards you. I actually want to trust that you are at work in some mysterious way. And I need to train myself to get rid of all the static and noise. And be able to actually see the things that you see. To partner with you. The way that you are making all things new. So today, our call and coming to the communion table is uh, that of a very, very old tradition. Something about the physical meal, something as really simple and ordinary as taking bread and dipping it in a cup. Jesus says, this is a symbol of my body broken, and this is a symbol of my blood poured out. The ultimate act of love, the ultimate act of forgiveness, laying down, Jesus laying down his life for us. That in that moment, We are forgiven and set free, and what he is inviting us to is to be filled with that love that we might actually care enough to have that kind of love for the people around us. Some of this just comes back to love, right? Like, Do you love the people around you, and do you deeply desire to love them well? Do you think that God loves them better than you do, and God might have insight into how you can love them, small as we are, And the most insignificant things that we might have going on in our life. There are opportunities to do the greatest act known to man. Love people. And love them well with the power of Jesus. We all agree with what I just said. And yet to put that into practice is often the hardest thing. If you are brand new to church. Or you have just kind of walked away. Or you are cynic. Man, we're just so glad you're here because there's all sorts of people in the room who have all sorts of doubts and questions. But we want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if today you want to say, yeah, yeah, I actually would be interested in following this Jesus. To come forward, to take the bread and to dip it in the cup as a reminder of God's love for you. His forgiveness of your sins, like you are free Recognize that this is God says that you are a child and you are loved, and that in that moment, how could we not love? How could we not, like Peter, earnestly seek God in our day to day? Small as we are. So, let me pray for us, uh, and then I'll give you instructions for communion. God, teach us. Um, Give us like, the energy to be bold like Peter, to risk failure, to risk critique, to risk awkwardness for the things that actually matter in this world. Fill us with a bit of urgency that we wouldn't waste one more day. Remind us that in jobs that maybe seem unromantic, maybe there's all the students in the room who are like, feel like they're in a holding pattern. Or like, well, my life really doesn't start for another four years. Like, no. Like, right now there are opportunities to love and to serve and to join you, Lord. And I pray for just your Holy Spirit to come, that same spirit that affected Peter and pushed him to want to get out of the boat and go, I I can do it. I can do what the rabbi says. Help us to trust. Help us to trust you, Lord. And I pray for those who have something stern in their hearts right now. Uh, Who just might want to just say, I want to say yes. I actually want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to do that. I pray uh, that that they would not hesitate. They would not wait. That they would just come forward. That they would would, uh, say yes to Jesus, Lord. And that they would begin this journey. In your name we pray. Amen.